I just got back from New York. Right. Um, and we did a lot of stuff. We went to the Empire State Building. We went to the 9-11 Memorial. Sure. Um, we went to Cat's Delicatessen and got, you know, the uh, pastrami on rye. I'll pretend to know uh, what that is. Cat's Delicatessen. Uh, y- y- you've seen When Harry Met Sally? No. Oh, okay. But you know the famous scene, uh, the I'll have what she's having scene? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Set okay. in Cat's Delicatessen. Gotcha. Um, and we went to a Broadway play. We went we went to actually see the the Michael Jackson play. Ooh. Um and here's some things that I did do at the play. Oh no. I got a drink called the uh Manhattan in the Mirror, which is a <laughs> their version of a of Manhattan. Ooh, that's great. Uh I sat quietly in my seat. Uh, and I, I sang along to the songs, but I did so respectfully, uh, uh-huh. and I enjoyed the show and I did not get kicked out <laughs> because here's some, <laughs> here are some vital, uh, oh, some vital goodness. things. If you don't want to get kicked out of a theater, <laughs> a don't be disruptive. B don't vape in there <laughs> and C don't fondle your date. At a children's play. <laughs> okay. All ages play. It wasn't okay. just for children. It was Beetlejuice. Okay. Beetlejuice has some adult stuff in it. Yeah. So does SpongeBob. <laughs> My <Fair>. point is. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> when you go to a theater, there's a very basic rules. I feel like everyone abides by and no one needs them explained to them to to them. You would be surprised how many people need the whole put your phone away thing. Uh, I'm speaking more to the don't uh, have sexual contact with your partner, your seat neighbor. (laughs) Yeah. Which apparently is something that uh, U S Congress members don't understand. Well, I guess hmm. one Congress member in in particular, I was thinking maybe there's like an off color joke that we could use to make members plural, but the other person involved was not a, was not a Congress member. No, from what I understand, he was like a Tinder rando. Um, I don't know about that. I don't know. I think that might just be a joke, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. No. So we know who the guy is and it's fascinating. Yeah. So okay. So, okay. So for those of you who are not keeping up with what on earth we're talking about, the first thing that we wanted to mention tonight was freaking Lauren Boebert, who is a Republican representative. She's not a senator. Yeah, right? she's representative, representative from Western Colorado. Right, and she's not only Republican, but she's um, willingly associated herself with the far right movement in Congress. Yeah, she's like a QAnon person. Um, right. Her ex, now ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband is a convicted pedophile. Um, I don't know. Ooh, it's a nice ring town. I don't know if he's a pedophile. I know he's a sex company. offender. I thought it was public indecency. Yes, two underage girls. Ah, okay. Well, then, yeah, yeah that would... Sure. Yeah, he exposed... Uh, he, he tried to get them to look at his uh, tattoo that he has on his penis... Uh, and then when they wouldn't look, he just showed it to them. You know what? 
I gotta say. Pun intended, that man has got to have some balls if yeah. he can get a tattoo on his penis. I I think I'm too wimpy to get a tattoo anywhere on my body. Right, yeah. Let alone that's, the that's most sensitive the... part of my body. I know, I've, I've heard that the elbows and the backs of the knees are painful, but I'm, I can I'm see not that. sure if... I, I think the... Like the uh, amount of people that have experience with different areas is less so, or like the pain associated sure. with different areas for a tattoo is less so for you know genitals. Well, anyway, um, so Lauren Bobert, she um, I don't want to keep talking about genitals. Lauren Bobert yeah. <laughs> uh, is in the process of getting a divorce, and she is uh, before she was a congressman or congresswoman. Before she was a congresswoman, she like runs this bar where employees and patrons are encouraged to open carry uh, firearms. I think it was called rifles or something, something like that. And, um, she obviously is going through this difficult family time. I'm not going to say that divorce is easy. Having never Mm -hmm. been one, you've been divorced, but, um, obviously that's going to take a toll on your mental. She's going through the process. Oh, oh, I see what you're no, saying. No, no, no. I'm talking, talking about you. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully never. <laughs> right? Uh, we're, we're working to make that a never thing. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, I don't understand why she would do those things and then blame it on her ongoing divorce. Because, yeah, I mean, I understand she could be distraught, obviously. But I think that's kind of there's some whack things that she did that are on camera yeah. that you can see like, you know, the guy she's with full on grabs her breasts. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like a, a dwarf in Lord of the Rings digging for gold. Like yeah, it, it was it's disturbing to say the least. Um, I think yeah. there's two important things to remember here. One, she has the emotional maturity of a, uh, adolescent. Um, the, if you look at the, at the video of her, like being escorted out of the oh my lobby gosh, and yeah, everything, she's flipping them and out to tur- the finger waggle. Yeah. turn turns around and just fr- like I, with the sound off, you can tell that she's saying, do you know who I am? Right. Like her right. body language is just spoiled teenager who didn't get her way. Um, the other thing is that I, th- I think it's pretty clear uh, maybe, maybe not to you because you don't have experience with this, but as somebody who does have experience with alcohol, uh, <laughs> she was drunk and her inhibitions were lowered and I'm, I'm assuming her date was in a similar state. And so they weren't really, I don't think aware of, or, or really paying attention to, you know, the inappropriateness, um, of their behavior, but also like it. I've always gotten the vibe of like sorority party girl from her. Uh, And I think that that's kind of backed up by her, um, the possibility that she may have made a career out of that persona. And that's uh, possibly why she uh, was even elected to the house in the first place uh, is because some people claim, and I think it's might be a credible claim, 
that she was an escort to politicians. Um, and that's how she got the connections that Ted Cruz being one of them that eventually led her to um, running for office. But I think that this is very much typical behavior of her. And I think that it's, it just kind of goes to show you like just the level of immaturity and lack of judgment that she has just in, you know, her day to day life. So real quick, I just Googled Lauren Boebert escort escort, and that is uh, incorrect. It, it, it was being pushed out by a Democrat super PAC, mm-hmm. um, but everything I'm seeing is saying she's wrong. Even um, the Colorado Sun wrote an article where the headline is, uh, let me see the full one. Lauren Boebert is a train wreck, but the sexism but against her has got to stop. Yeah. Sure. So, I, I, so that's not I, true, but I can see the persona well, of it's sorority. not substantiated, I would say. No, um, uh, everything I'm seeing is saying that it's not true. But what are they basing that off of? Fact checking saying it's unproven allegations. Yeah, unproven allegations. OK, well, I can walk um, in and say, dude, you're smoking pot right now and I have no evidence for it, but this is a podcast. And so unless people are on YouTube watching, they have no well, idea of which one of us would be correct. Right. right but you but can we use, would assume innocent until proven guilty. You can use context clues though, to in make inferences. And that's, I mean, that's why I'm saying that, you know, they're unsubstantiated claims. It wouldn't surprise me though. And she did spend an inordinate amount of time with uh, powerful political, uh, people i don't think that means i don't think that's enough reason to say that she was an escort for them sure but it does seem and 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 i totally understand that that may be um a sexism uh based claim sure um and i certainly don't want to do that but it does seem odd that she would without any kind of relevant experience be touted as this, um, you know, uh, great addition to the house of representatives by incumbent members, um, who she happened to spend a lot of, you know, free time, quote unquote, free time with. Yeah. But I feel like that's just making connections, getting feet in the door for, um, fundraising. You know, I mean, look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She very much did similar or not the same things with, you know, Democratic leaders prior to her run against an incumbent. And why? But she had an outward interest in politics beforehand. And to my knowledge, Lauren Boebert really didn't. Yeah, and I I don't know enough about her to say yes or no. What I do know, and I'm going back to like who her companion was at this, because this is what I think is the most interesting Lauren Boebert, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about him, because I don't know anything about him. Yeah, so as you know, Lauren Boebert has been very outspoken against, like, drag shows and uh, gay rights and LGBTQIA issues and trans issues. And Mm. the guy who she was with is the owner of a gay bar who hosts drag shows. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That, she, uh, she knew. 
she knew going in. Yeah. No, that, that doesn't surprise me at all because it's, again, I don't think that she has any interest in being in politics. I don't think that she believes the bullshit that she, you know, says. I think that it's just about getting attention and being, you know, divisive. Um, right. I just think it's, I think it's hilarious that she, she spends all this time saying that people who promote LGBTQ, whatever, plus trans, everything issues, all of this right. community's issues are groomers. And then there she is, uh, arguably getting felt up at a, at a family friendly. Right. Yeah. By one of these people. Um, he, he, the name of his bar is uh hooch craft cocktail bar. Okay. So not a great name, but it's not a terrible name. You know, I, as someone who doesn't go to bars, I wouldn't know. I mean, but you can tell that like what a good business name is, right? It's, it's no prancing pony. That's for sure. That's true. (laughs) Or green dragon. Yeah. Or bridge in. Or, oh, there's there's six named in Lord of the pubs. Rings. Or no, there's seven named pubs in Lord of the Rings. Okay, here they are: the Green Dragon, the Golden Perch, the Ivy Gold Bush. Perch, yeah, the yeah. Ivy Bush. I feel like if it were made today, would be a gay bar. Um, mm. I don't know. I feel like that's a gay bar name. Okay. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe. The Golden Perch would maybe be like a Trump-owned one. That would be something he used to make fun of the Golden yeah. Ring allegations. Yeah. Anyway, there's the Bridge Inn, the Floating Log, and All Welcome Inn. Oh, that's right. The All Welcome Inn. All of those are in the Shire. Yes. And then there's a the Prancing Pony, which I think is and, the only other one. And the Forsaken Inn. Where's that one? East of Bree. Ah, uh, Oh, that's right. Because they say, they say something about the road east of Bree is ended at the Forsaken Inn, like in terms of the, like from the Shire's perspective. Right. Anyway, so back to Lauren Boebert. Yes. <laughs> the Goblin. <laughs> yeah. I want to say. I, I, I just want to yeah. make clear. Personally, I don't. I'm not meaning to disparage any kind of sex work. What I, what I more was speaking to is the disingenuous nature that she is doing her current job. Yeah. While just like attacking, um, you know, uh, primarily the trans community for like trying to indoctrinate kids or at least subjecting kids to inappropriate sexual, you know, uh, conduct. Right. And then, and yet, her husband uh, before they were married and while she was with him exposed himself to underage girls. And then now this whole thing with the theater. So I wonder, it, it makes me wonder how much of it is just politicking to get elected and how much of it is real conviction. I think like showboating versus actual positions that she holds. I think they go hand in hand. I don't think she's smart enough to actually be like conniving enough to kind of be duplicitous in that way. Um, 
it, it like meaning that like she might that that it's purely tactical and it's purely strategic. I think that she is definitely doing the thing that's going to get her the most attention. Sure. Or um, and and I, I'm not necessarily talking about the theater thing. I think that was just poor judgment. And no, but you're, you're talking about like her stances and her vocalizations yeah. of beliefs. Yeah, and just how ridiculous she is. I think I think that it's attention seeking, but I think that that informs the actual positions that she has. And so whatever she gets the most attention, excuse me, uh, gets the most attention for, that's the thing that becomes her, her actual position. Sure. So it doesn't have to go like, it's not subject to any preexisting moral code or something. It's just, yeah. What is convenient. That's a pretty standard political practice right now, especially for people seeking their first election. You're going to latch on to whatever you can, if you're going to beat that incumbent. Or sure. if you're going to beat the opponent in a contestable um, district. And I don't know what the demographics of her district are. So I don't know if it was a solid red or if she had to fight no, for her position. Was, she lost her last election by less than 600 votes. Wow. Yeah, okay. it was very, very close. So and then that would make a lot of sense. cost her the next election. Yeah, so then that, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> to me. because She just had a lot of funding. Right. And if I were her running in a state district that was so contestable, you're going to want to appeal to whatever's getting you the most amount of votes. So that would make sense to me if she's not actually buying into what she's saying. Um, I think she is, though. I I don't necessarily know if she would be buying in if it wasn't the thing that was getting her. See, but I think her actions... I think actions speak louder than words. And if she's genuinely saying these people are groomers and pedophiles and all this stuff, but then she goes on a date with one in public um, and to the, has this experience that she does with him in public. Yeah. It makes me think, okay, so you don't think they're groomers and pedophiles because if you no, did, no, no. You I think she, date with one. I think she does. I think she has convinced herself that she does think that they're groomers and pedophiles while also lacking any moral backbone or awareness of her own actions. I think that she legitimately does think that uh, transgender people or, you know, people in the LGBTQIA community are pedophiles. I think that she's just, uh, again, immature and she has no actual moral code uh, the, at least not one that's, you know, of any substance. And so, you know, it's, it, it's okay for her to do because, um, you know, because at least she's not gay, um, oh which feels even, even like sarcastically that feels gross saying. Yeah. So, you know, who else I think has uh, no moral backbone. You're not going to like uh, this. Who take a guess, take, take a guess who you think I'm going to say. I'll give you a hint. It's also oh, someone in the house of representatives. Oh, okay. I was thinking of people from high school. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that's no, good. I'm that not that rude. Down. Well, I don't know. Um, uh, now I am actually thinking of people in high school that I would think of that about. I don't oh No goodness. one really comes to mind. Um, it, someone in the house of, Oh, is it uh, Kevin McCarthy? No. Oh, interesting. Although he's probably up there too. 
Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, somebody else in, in the in the House of Representatives, or I guess, yeah, he's in the House of Representatives. Um, someone in the House who has no moral backbone. Who I think has no moral who backbone. You think has no moral backbone. You might think they do. I don't know. I don't know that I really know that many people in the House of Representatives. Um, you got to know this one. Everybody knows I? this one. I'll give you a hint. Okay. Her name starts with N and ends with Nancy Pelosi. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> Doesn't really narrow it down. Is it? Clancy Pelosi starts or, with or N. Well, the N is silent. Oh, oh, the, oh, you're right. I forgot. Yes, yeah. it is. It is cousin to Nancy Pelosi. Wait, is it Nancy Pelosi? <laughs> I cannot stand Nancy Pelosi. Like, here's the thing. I, 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 I am able. I think to put aside my disagreements with a lot of people and mm-hmm. look at. The person and the purpose. For example, I disagree. Would you say you're able to agreeably disagree? Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, for example, I look at um, AOC, Alexandria yes. Ocasio-Cortez. I do not agree with her on very much, but I do right. think she is actually there to help American people in her sure. own way. Yeah. I think she is there for a good reason. Nancy Pelosi, I do not think that about. I disagree with her on most things. I think she is there to make money and have power. And she even said the reason she's running for reelection is to be able to raise more money for the Democratic Party. Yeah, which I think. uh, So here's two. Two comments that I have on that. A, I think as part of the Democratic leadership, that is kind of inherently her job. Uh, but B, I wouldn't say that I necessarily disagree with you. I think that Nancy Pelosi started her career in a very similar position as as AOC and wanting to do the right thing, you know, for the right reasons. And I think she's just been a career politician for so long that, you know, it's kind of a, uh, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of dynamic. Um, I still agree with a lot of her positions um mm-hmm. but you know i also am kind of dissatisfied uh particularly with her uh with um t- uh, certain tax things and also her uh just uh combative combativeness with uh the whole you know uh stock uh congressional stock trading oh thing. my goodness yeah um but I th- I think as I think part of it, at least from my point of view, part of, you know, the things that you're talking about that mm-hmm. you have a problem with, I think are kind of just inherent with, you know, being high up in the Democratic leadership. See, but if the whole thing is about raising money for the party, mm-hmm. there are other ways that she can do that. She can still campaign and hold fundraisers for the democratic national committee or for the democratic party, or she can start a super PAC and run a super PAC to raise money for the person who is going to be succeeding her in her district Mm -hmm. or the person she thinks should, she doesn't have to run for a nth term just because 
she wants more money for the Democratic Party because I don't buy that. Well, she's been in office. But, yeah, but on, she's. I mean, she's she is also running because she wants to, position to remain as, as, the incumbent. But I'm, I'm yeah, not. But she's been in since 1987. Saying. Yeah, she's been in for a long time, uh, and I'm not saying that I would like her to continue. Um, you know. I, do, I don't want any more Diane Feinsteins. I don't want more Robert Byrds. I don't want, you know, people who are staying in elected offices well past their ability to, you know, faithfully and, and, uh, um, what's the word? Um, not coherently, but, but effectively execute their position. Right. Well, uh, and, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge Mitt Romney fan, but I do love that he just recently said, I'm not running for re-election because I'm going to be in my mid eighties by the time that that term ends. Yeah. And then just kind of is like, we all should be doing that. Young people are the ones who are going to be in charge soon. We need to let them be in charge. The young people are the one who all of these policies are going to affect. They should be the ones making those policies. Yeah. No, I have a lot of respect for him doing that. I I will say I am a little dubious. Um, you know, there's a part of me that, uh, and and I in general I do like Mitt Romney. Um, you know, at least as far as Republicans go, I I like Mitt Romney. Um, yeah, I still agree with him on everything. Yeah, I and I certainly don't either. Um, there is a part of me, and maybe this is more of the you know skeptic side of me that wonders how much of that is, you know, obviously I, I don't think Mitt Romney would ever endorse Trump. I also no. don't think that he's going to want, you know, to endorse Biden. And so I think maybe this is motivated by his, um, his distaste for Trump, but also his lack of, you know, uh, or his, his unwillingness to support Biden and so he's kind of sending a message to conservatives being like, hey, why don't we vote for somebody who's not these two old white men because I don't want either one of them. And it's not necessarily as genuine of a, you know, sure, like uh, we should get young people more involved messages as maybe it's being portrayed. I mean, I, I can see it being both. I think I, I in fairness, I could, too. It's I, just, I think there, it's there is one leading to the other. I, I think you've got those candidate frustrations for sure. Because mm -hmm. if I were in his position, I know I would be uh, oh, frustrated with those choices. I, I think there's a lot of Republicans, uh, even yeah. just you know, part of the constituency that, that feel those same frustrations. Right. Um, but I also do think it, it did not surprise me that he was doing it, it, it surprised mm -hmm. me the timing, you know, I feel like, cause I didn't realize how sure. old he was already. And so for him to say, I'll be in my mid eighties by the time it, you know, this term ends, I'm like, right. He's and he's, old? he's running for Senate. So it's six years. Yeah. 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 Okay. So he is, how old is he actually? I don't know. He looks good for whatever age. He's he 76. Is, yeah. He looks really good. He's 76. He's taking care sure. of himself. It's, you know, it's that, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, word of wisdom, no smoking, alcohol, tobacco, all that kind of stuff. Oh, God, is that is that why I look so terrible? <laughs> no, that's just genetics. I mean, I've got I've got a doctrine and covenants. <laughs> I, 
I did. I did finally buy one, and it's around here somewhere. Oh, one of ours or one of yours? One of ours. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, you showed me that last time. Yeah, yeah. Did I? Yeah. 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 It's somewhere, but oh, it's over on my shelf there. Um, I just, ah, man, I am tired of. I feel like the House, Congress in general. I feel like Congress in general has too much of the power. But I also feel like the president has too much power. And I I don't think this is an option. I don't think this is something that to me would be solved by giving it to another branch. I think it would Mm -hmm. be something that needs to be solved by giving more power back to the states. Yes. And okay. So I would agree on the, on the Congress thing. I think the legislative branch does have too much power. There are times when I think the presidency has too much power, but there's also definitely times where I feel like the presidency doesn't have enough power. Uh, Student loans is one thing where I was really frustrated by the lack of power that the president actually has. See, but at the Um, same time, the Constitution does specifically, as much as I want my student loans wiped out and don't want to have to pay that, um, the Constitution Constitution does specifically say that financial matters are to the Congress. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Biden can't, um, Biden can't unilaterally make that decision without congressional approval. Right. It's, it's, I think it's a lot more frustrating though, when you think about the things that Trump technically couldn't do without congressional approval or George Bush couldn't do without, you know, congressional approval, such as an unjustified war. Um, and yet they did it anyway. Right. Um, by calling it a conflict. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it was, it was semantics. Um, but I think it's, it's, it is frustrating when you look at the abuses of power by presidents that, um, I guess the abuses of power from presidents that I haven't agreed with and then seeing a president that I do agree with, not also like using that same abuse of power for things that I would like him to do them for simply because he's not willing to do that. And I like, I can't argue with that because I don't want a president that's going to abuse the power. But also again, like you said, I would like my student loans gone. Uh, You know, I would like to not be bankrupt by, um, you know, an ambulance ride should I need it. Um, but I definitely, I do have a problem with the state's rights thing because I think a lot of times historically state's rights have been utilized to, um, negate the, uh, or simply to, to find a loophole, um, to being required to provide human rights. Sure. So I think, you know, like, uh, take the most obvious example, the civil war, you know, everyone talks about it, states rights. Well, it was about states rights to do specifically one thing. Sure. And, um, you know, obviously like we, uh, you know, it was wrong to leave the question of slavery to states rights because slavery should just not be acceptable at all. I think 
similarly, things like gay marriage, abortion rights, and I'm just talking about myself, you know, things like that should not, there shouldn't be an avenue through which states can make up their own mind about those fundamental rights. Um, And I think it's, it's really disgusting what's going on in, you know, Florida and Texas where there are literal bounties being put on people who are, you know, going to states where those rights are granted. Yeah, I don't agree with that, but I and I think that with that meaning the the practice of yeah, of like of, going after people in other states, right? Because that right. that is part of the reason why we are a federation is the ability right. to go to other states for purposes that you would want, and that's part of what the federal government's job is. Um, one of the things I take issue with a lot when it comes to presidential power is uh, executive orders, mm-hmm. and when you look at which presidents give out executive orders the most, two things stand out to me. Mm-hmm. One is that presidents They're primarily that, Democrats, primarily Democrats. Uh, it's not what I was going to lead with, but yes, the, um, up until recent years, up until recent years, actually, but mm-hmm. primarily Democrats have given out the most, um, both on average and in total. Mm -hmm. But what I think is also more interesting is these presidents that are often criticized as being power hungry by either party are also using them more frequently than ones who aren't. So for example, um, George W. Bush being criticized for being power hungry during the Iraq war issued a total of 291 executive orders. Mm -hmm. President Obama, 276 also deemed by uh, Republicans as being rather power or by yeah by republicans as being rather power hungry donald well, trump so here's the here's the difference that i would say specifically for obama's presidency i think he had one of the most embattled terms that we've ever seen i agree I'm, i yeah. think he would have gotten nothing done had he not sure. had executive privilege i will concede that uh, orders now here's the thing both of those two presidents had eight years and they gave out 291 276 President mm-hmm. Trump in four years gave out 220. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all because and he President, never had respect for how like the for the due process that needed to be involved. OK, but President Biden is on track to do the same. He is at two and a half years in and he's at 123 already because he has to undo all the bullshit that Trump did. No, a lot of it doesn't have to do with stuff that Trump did. I mean, think about the executive orders he did for student loans. Well, yeah, because it's that not like Trump is the only thing Trump. that was wrong with the country. I agree, but if you're going to say that all of these things are things that he, all these executive orders are things that he well, okay. did, are because of Trump, there needs to be substan- substance Maybe, behind that. I don't know that that checks out. Then I'll amend that. He had to undo everything that had been done previously under other administrations. Sure. I think I think we're at a point where, especially with um, just within Biden's presidency, the the legislature is extremely combative and just and kind of just uh on both sides disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing and so again in order to get anything done biden i think does have more of a legitimate reason to resort to executive orders and whether you agree with them or not i think for the most part he has done them within the privileges that are provided 
to him by the Constitution. So I will say, looking over the list of recent ones, most of them are just proclamations. They're not actually creating laws or policy like a Mm -hmm. lot of other ones are. Like there's within just September, um, proclamation on National Voter Registration Day, on Constitution Citizenship Day and Constitution Week, on National Farm Safety and Health Week. Right. But then there's also um, memorandum on presidential determination and certification with respect to the child soldiers prevention act of 2008. So like, it's not all just like proclamations. It's there are some that he's doing that change Mm -hmm. policy, but all of this is shadowed by um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt who averaged 307 per year and totaled 3,721 executive orders. But again, a president who got shit done and would not have without that ability. Okay, but let's also remember that some of these executive orders are interning of Asian people. Sure. That's, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Uh, Manzanar is a atrocity and one that our nation, um, I mean, and not just Manzanar, all of the other um, camps um, that is that is de- a definite black mark on our nation's legacy and one that we need to um, one that shouldn't be forgotten, I think. Right. Um, but compare that but, to other wartime presidents like Kennedy, Johnson and Nixon each only have 214, 325 and 346 respectively. Well, Kennedy didn't have as much time. <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, Nixon also didn't have as much time. He was in for two. He got elected to two different terms. Well, yeah, but I mean, when you're his two terms were cut short, Johnson Uh, and Nixon were in for approximately the same about amount of time and they have approximately the same number of orders. Right? No, I'm not, I'm not disputing, um, that, but I think that, I do think FDR is a special case because he was dealing with first the depression sure. uh, and then world war two, obviously. Um, and a lot of, I think those are two things where drastic decisions have to be made and you don't have the luxury of going through the arduous process of congressional approval um, it, it, and it's kind of a political because Congress does have the ability to, you know, veto an executive order. I think it's by two thirds majority. Um, but uh, it's kind of a case of better to ask forgiveness or yeah, better to ask forgiveness than permission. Sometimes yes. And sometimes when you're playing with people's lives, I would say no. Certainly. But Certainly. Here, here's an interesting tidbit. All right, so the only president to that I can see to not give out any was William Henry Harrison, but he was okay. also in for 0.08 years. He died of pneumonia or a cough or something that like he caught. Like three, three months later. At his inauguration time. speech, yeah. Um, but until oh, he died he, at his inauguration? Not in it. So he, he was told, wear a coat for your inauguration. It's cold and rainy outside. And he said, leave me alone, woman, to his wife, and went out and gave a three-hour speech in the rain and then got That's sick That's also and died. not how people get sick. But it, it is that is how he died. He got pneumonia from cold exposure. You don't catch a virus from cold exposure. You catch a virus from elsewhere and cold exposure uh, 
diminishes your immune system, but cold does not carry a virus. Yes, this is true. Or a bacterial infection. Um, hold on. I'm looking on at William Henry Harrison. So his son's house is out here in Indianapolis, and so it, they have a whole story here. Um, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so until the end of William McKinley's term, only mm-hmm. one president came close to or broke 200 executive orders, and that was Grant. Okay. Since William McKinley... Again, again, president during Reconstruction. Right. I, I think so, that one makes that one makes sense to me. I think it, it makes as much sense as FDR, certainly, but also I think 3, it makes, makes sense... For Obama, who was president after the next biggest financial uh, crisis since sure. the Depression. if you look at it in the context of the financial crisis, if a lot of his executive orders are related to the financial crisis, then yes. Which I, which I think a lot of them were. I would have to um, look into some it. Some of them were, were fast and furious, which I'm not so keen <laughs> on. But, uh, but then I think Biden also, you look at uh, – I, I mean, I – I'll go out on a limb and I will say that I think the four years of the Trump presidency were as damaging, if not more damaging than at least the, the 2008 um, uh, recession or as damaging as um, maybe not. I think, I think it gets close to as damaging as, you know, I, the civil war or. Oh, the oh no. No, 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 no. I, I'm going to definitely it gets push clo- back on that. I think it gets closer. <laughs> I'm not saying it is as close. I'm saying it's far closer than any other presidency. No, uh-uh. I would I would still push back on that and look at um, Nixon's era of the Vietnam War, like how he fought against count against protesters. I would look at the Red Scare. Um, mm. I, I think you've got. I think it, it would be pushing it. Okay, I think that's yeah. a lot of hyperbole. Um, but it could be. President Trump actually had the least amount of executive orders since the 1980s. Who was the Who was the president after uh, Hoover? Hoover? Let me see. Yeah. Hoover, Hoover, Hoover. Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Okay. Well, okay. So that I think that adds credence, though, to what I'm saying, though, is that the Red Scare, I mean, Hoover was president for a large portion of that. Sure. And contributed significantly to the uh, eventuality of the Depression. I mean, think of, of Hooverville's. Um, yeah. Yep. And so I think it, it there is a correlation of presidents who are coming into a bad situation, which you cannot deny that the Trump presidency at least was a very bad situation. I think for the bad country. situation in some ways, but it's pretty subjective in whether or not it's bad because you look at today, Americans are spending, know. Americans are spending $700 a month more right now than they did under Trump. Yes. But how much of that is because of policies that Trump enacted? You could argue, you could argue that and, policies, and how much of that has to do with in, uh, inflation because of or you know quote unquote because of the pandemic when so really it was I would, just I would say two things here you can definitely make the argument that policy change takes a couple of years to be felt mm. however uh biden has been in long enough 
that we could point directly to some of the policies that have happened underneath him. Um, some of which are on purpose and some of which were going to happen under Trump as well, like student loan repayments, mm -hmm. for example, like that's going to affect the economy. It's going to happen eventually, no matter who the president is. Um, sure. But he's been in long enough that we could easily point to his administration as having similar effects. I mean, you look at his shutting down of the Keystone pipeline immediately after that, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but immediately mm -hmm. after that, fuel prices and energy prices go up. You look at him stopping fracking again, energy well, prices wait, go up. When did he shut down that pipeline? That was like one of the first things he did when he got into office. So in 2021, that was one of his first executive orders. Yeah. Give me a date on that though. Because, or at least a date on when the fuel prices shot up, because at least in my area and the West coast has some of the higher fuel prices because we're further away from sources. Um, I really didn't feel that effect until the Russian invasion in 2022. Um, oh, are you kidding me? When I was in Alabama, we had gas prices that were less than $2 a gallon. And then okay. um, pretty soon after he goes into office, significantly higher. When I moved here to Indianapolis area, gas prices were in the 270, 280 pipeline gets shut down. And now they're, they're literally a dollar a gallon more. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I personally think that the pipeline being shut down was the right decision. Right. Um, you can make that cost benefit analysis of gas prices versus, you know, the climate, right. and, you know, ec ecological impact. You can totally make that, um, cost benefit analysis. I'm not going to say it is or isn't worth it, but there is that direct impact. Um, sure. What I think um, is the coolest thing about all of this though, is there have only been two presidents since William McKinley to have less than 200, um, executive orders. Really? Um, one of them is Gerald Ford okay. who comes in at 169 at two and a half years in office uh -huh. and George Bush senior with 166 oh, in four years. And since what George was... Bush senior, Donald Trump has had the fewest. Yeah. Now that, I, yeah, I think that kind of makes sense. Um, we should, we should talk about our second topic though, as much as I would love this, to. You're right. This is on, this is like a good segue into the second topic though. So the second thing that we really wanted to talk about is, uh, what I feel comfortable saying is the complete BS impeachment allegations that Congress yeah. is bringing before President Biden. No, I, <laughs> I think we can both agree on that. And, and there's a couple reasons and, and there's a couple reasons that I think that it's BS. Um, I think you'll agree, but uh, I'm going off of, uh, um, I'm going to reference an article by uh, on NPR.org uh, that's called In the Tale of Five Presidential Impeachments, How Does the Latest One Stack Up? And they pretty succinctly and, and effectively uh, make the case that this is the first impeachment where it's not um, – it doesn't have anything to do with things that the president has done while they've been in office. There is not – any 
I mean, not even substantial evidence. There is no evidence of the crime that they are accusing him of. And it is the only, um, or I guess it's, uh, when you look at the time frames between the alleged event and when the impeachment, uh, started from, um, uh, at least the last five impeachments, um, Nixon's was 600 days after the alleged event. Uh, there was also, you know, evidence of obstructing, uh, obstruction of justice, uh, Clinton's was 264 days after the alleged event. There was also obstruction of justice and lying under oath. Um, Trump's first one was 61 days after the event. And that, uh, I believe was, what was Trump's first impeachment about? Oh, it was, uh, for, uh, soliciting, um, the Hunter Biden laptop from Ukraine. Uh, and then his second one was obviously the, the January 6th, January 6th insurrection right. yeah. that, that was seven days after, uh, that the articles of impeachment were drawn up with Biden's the amount of time between the alleged event and when the articles of impeachment were drawn up was 3,430. 31 days. So almost 10 years, 10 years when he was not the president, they don't have evidence of it. And it it has nothing to do with his, with, with, I mean, even close to his presidency, he was two years before his vice presidency or was, no, was he? I, I would say that doesn't bother me as much. Presidency. Right. It would have been during his vice presidency. And that doesn't bother me as much because um, according to USA.gov, the Constitution gives Congress the power to impeach federal officials. So it doesn't matter if you're vice president or not. It doesn't matter necessarily when it happened. I do think timeliness helps. Sure. Um, But I also think we weren't necessarily scrutinizing our politicians quite as much, especially our president's quite as much as we are now. I think we were criticizing right. them quite a bit. I, and I think unfairly so, especially in the case of president Obama, people calling him the antichrist. Yeah. I feel like that's an unfair statement, but um, I, I do think that we are way more obsessed with their day-to-day life. And in some ways that's a good Certainly. thing. Yeah. Cause in some ways that's a good thing because I, that gives me hope that maybe we'll start, trying to elect uh, people who are good people and not just who are people that make noise. <laughs> well, I see, I think that that plays into the shift that we've seen in, in the scrutiny um, How that so? we're seeing now, because there was, I forget his first name, but there was a Congress member with the last name of Hart, I believe in Kevin? the late, 80s not kevin hart <laughs> and not and not the late great uh wrestling legend bret hart um, never heard of that guy keep going oh yeah the the la mancha screw job um not helping i didn't watch wrestling keep going you're good i didn't either this is from an uh npr uh story <laughs> that i listened to oh, okay um, it, but also so is my knowledge of of this uh i think it was senator hart um, but he had a, an outward affair 
And it was kind of the first time in U.S. history or U.S. political history where a candidate's personal life was held against them um, in in an election. And since then, we've become increasingly more focused on, you know, whether or not this politician is a good person rather than just a good politician. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, we're seeing this increasingly uh, over the years, but I definitely think it's, it's way more understandable when you consider who the last president was. Um, I would also say some of the previous presidents, even before him, you know, like Clinton, I mean, he did a lot of good things as far as bipartisan work, but my gosh, dude gives me the heebie jeebies. Sure. And that's, I think that's a fair criticism of him as a person. Um, I don't think Clinton's transgressions while not excusable, uh, I don't think they impacted his ability to be president. Trump, I would say it's different. I don't know. Um, I still think it's an abuse of power, you know, because yeah. And I think any abuse of power would, in my mind, theoretically disqualify someone, but that also would narrow the candidacy pool down to like Jesus. (laughs) Well, and even then I think, you know, we might be surprised, uh, but I think it's pretty clear. And the reason why I bring up the uh, just the amount of time from the uh, supposed transgression and when they're impeached, uh, the reason why I bring that up is because I think it's pretty clear that Kevin McCarthy is just grasping at straws. He's trying to throw a wrench in the campaign gears for Biden because his guy is going to be uh, – just inundated with uh, uh, court proceedings uh, during the campaign trail. And I think that Kevin McCarthy is trying to level the playing field. So I don't know if Kevin McCarthy is the one starting it. Um, I know that as head of the Senate, he's the one who has to actually do the filing. Yeah. He's certainly the figurehead of it, whether or not it's his idea, but I, I'm under the impression that he is definitely gung ho for it. Right. But I think it's more, I guess he's over the house, not the Senate. So I misspoke there. Well, yeah. Um, I think it's more the fact that a committee is trying to do it and he has to officially sanction the committee. Yeah. But as the speaker, he, or the whip, I mean, that's the, the whip's whole job is to whip the party into, into consensus. Um, Right. I think either he or the majority whip could, have put a stop to it if they actually wanted to. And I don't get the sense that, that either one of them did. I'm, I don't know. Fair, because, though, I'm not sure who the whip is right now. Well, and I, I think what's, I think it's less about that and more about the fact that there is a pretty considerably sized, um, num- well, maybe not considerably sized. There's a considerable number of more far right Republicans in the house right now. Yes, who he does not agree certainly. with, but if he doesn't agree with them, they will stall progress on anything. And so he has to play the unfortunate game of giving them some amount of what they want. Right. And he, he's got a politic within his own party before he right. politics. And that makes it really it. difficult. The interpolitic, the inner inner party um, split is very difficult. Yeah. Cause I will say like, 
I disagree with a lot of Democrat standpoints, but I will give them the credit that they are pretty darn unified on their policies and beliefs. Yeah, right now the Republican so. Party is not. You know, you have a lot of moderate Republicans, you have a lot of far right Republicans, and the only yeah. thing that's uniting them is the fact that President Trump, former is, President is the Trump, fact that they're not Democrats. Right. Yeah. I mean, and really, Trump that's is the it. only person who they think could potentially beat Biden. Um, yeah. And I, I think they're correct, at least given the, the current pool of candidates. Um, right. And so, like, as an independent, my choices are a party who I disagree with on most things or a party who I agree with on a lot. I wouldn't say majority, but who can't get their crap together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I, I think that's a fair case. And I, I will say I'm, I'm going to be very surprised if 10 years from now, there is not a third party um, due to a split in Republicans because the Republicans that we have today are not the Republicans we had, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I, I agree, um, but I think the split would not just pull Republicans. I think it would be a split. Of oh, I think, moderates. I think it would. Yeah, I, I think you'd get some Democrats, not nearly as many as you would from the Republicans. But I think, you know, Democrats like uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard um, or right. yeah. uh, Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema. Um, actually, I think Chris, did Kristen Sinema, she a Republican now? I don't know. I think the, the most likely third party to emerge would be a Libertarian Party. Mm. And I think you would get a surprising number of Democrats who would join onto that. Hold on. Sorry. My, my headphones went out, so I didn't hear any oh, of that. I, I said, I think the most likely third party to emerge would be a libertarian party. And I think you would get I, yeah, a I, large, I think you get a large number of Democrats. Libertarian party, but I think, no, it would I think be, it would, I think it would be the current libertarian party. I don't, I think it would be something totally different. You think so? I think, I think you're going to have, the far right remain the Republicans. And then I think you're going to have the moderates from majority Republicans, but some Democrats, some, you know, center leaning Democrats. I think they'd re uh, revive something like the bull moose party. I don't see there being a, re a reviving of anything. I see, I see the far right Republicans being the ones who are more likely to split um, because they don't make up the majority of the party. No, but I think they're the most vocal and I think they're, they're going to throw us en enough of a tantrum that, uh, and, and increasingly gain positions of power within the party. And they're going to be able to hold on to that Republican, you know, moniker while the, actual Republicans, the ones that are not completely insane, um, are going to realize that they need to distance themselves from the Republican persona because it's been so tainted. You know, I'm, I'm going to switch my position and say, I think that you are right because I think that's what happened to the Democrat party in the last 10 years. Could or be the last 15. Cause Could I mean, be. you look at, the Democrat party of the early two thousands and even the late nineties, the, the Democrats mm. of Bill Clinton's time is a very different democratic party 
than yeah. today. There's I, I definitely been a, a push towards Democrats what, from that time now call themselves either libertarians or progressives. I think I think there's there's a definite push to right. rebrand um, certain aspects of the Democratic Party to not right. be associated with Democrats. I think yeah, and I think there's been a huge push in the Democratic Party towards you know in the what in the 90s and early 2000s would have been seen as a pretty far left-leaning stuff, but that is now mm-hmm. the basic general tenets of the Democratic Party. So yeah, I yeah, think I you're agree. right. You know, because if you look at you know the stances on socialism in the 90s and early 2000s, it was like a let's not talk about that kind of a thing. Yeah, because I mean, like, it was still very much on the tail of the cold war and socialism right. was still kind of more of a buzzword than it is today. Right. And, and even that aside, the acceptance of Bernie Sanders, someone who went to the Soviet union believes that he saw the actual Soviet union and not some amount of a facade mm-hmm. and came back and said, it's better there where there's no food on the shelves than it is here in the United States. At the same time well, that you've that, got Boris Yeltsin coming need to look into Dude, you can see it. He talks about it. It's he still talks about that. And at the same time that he was initially making those comments, you have Boris Yeltsin coming to the United States, seeing the abundance and leaving the Communist Party while still in office. Well, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's just so out of touch. But that's a different thing. No, yeah. I, I think you're right, though. I think maybe, I think you're right in that the extremists are probably going to lay claim to the parties each side yeah. because because they're they're going to ruin it sense. for the rest. It's yeah. it's the, people are going to associate Republicans with the most extreme version, and y- you can't reclaim that that title. Sure, you can't you can't reinvent it. Um, you know, once it's been soiled. Um, now, what I will say though, in terms of of this impeachment and Kevin McCarthy specifically, is I don't see him distancing himself whatsoever from that far right base in the Republican party. Right. Well, it's because I, I think he, again, he has to play that all politics for this game. Impeachment. I think deep down I, I he think probably is. I think he wants, I, I think he believes in what he's doing. I don't think he's just, you know, towing the party line. I think he's, you know, he's I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix. I think he's towing a party line because no matter how you slice it, an impeachment allegation is dicey territory. I don't think it is anymore. <sighs> I think, I, I, think I think the last, is. I think the last impeachment that was taken seriously by either side was Clinton's. I agree. But when I, when I say dicey territory, what I, I, I mean, politically speaking, cause you're going to face pretty general opposition from the other side, whether it's on true allegations or not. Yeah, but I I don't think it matters anymore. I think that that the damage that you would be doing by inviting that kind of criticism, um, I think we pretty pretty substantially demonstrated is inconsequential with the previous two impeachment hearings. I think I think that it's. I mean, the whole concept is a farce now. We we couldn't impeach. uh, was it Jackson, Andrew Jackson, or Andrew Johnson? Johnson, no, Jackson, John ja- the twenty. 
Yeah, for uh, replacing a bunch of cabinet appointments, I think, was it? Let me Google it. I'm not 100% sure why he was impeached. Yeah, I want to say it was like doing away with a bunch of public officials. So he was censured, not impeached. Oh, okay. Um, To remove federal deposits from the Second Bank of the United States and firing the Secretary of Treasury, William Duane, in order to do so. Okay, yeah, it was the firing of the Secretary of the Treasury that I was... um, yeah. So I I mean, so that was kind of a bust. Oh, Johnson then was impeached have... though in 1868. Oh, okay. What was that for? Um accused him of corruption in 1867 uh in January and then in in November they produced a bill of impeachment that consisted of a vast collection of complaints against him. Uh I want to say and it was then like they failed them or something. Yeah, it was corruption. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, but no impeachment has gone through to actual removal of office. Right, uh, and it doesn't Nixon's always have to. is the closest. I mean, impeachment doesn't. Impeachment is just the process. Correct. Um, A consequence Nick- can be removal from office, but it's... Sure. Doesn't have to be. But it's never gotten to that point. Nixon was very close, but he resigned before it could actually be, you know, be decided. Um, I just love how you've got videos of him saying, I'm never going to resign. They've got unsubstantiated claims and the tapes come out. I am resigning. I am not a crook. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, actually peace. Yeah. (laughs) But so you have that, you have, you know, Clinton who, uh, clearly did something wrong. Um, you know, everyone knew that he did something wrong, still didn't get removed from office. He and then acquitted. the next time that you have, well, yeah. And then the next time you have an impeachment, it's, it's a pretty grievous transgression. Uh, and then, you know, four, three, three, four years later, you have another pretty grievous transgression by the same president and impeached for the first time in U.S. history, a second time. Right. And nothing happens from it. He is still he is still under investigation for the crimes that he that were in question during his second impeachment. Right. And he still was not removed from office and he's still eligible to become president. I think that sends a pretty lackluster depiction of the power of impeachment to not just the American public, but to lawmakers. And so I think that on all levels, people aren't taking impeachment as seriously as they were. And this really is just purely a political stunt. I don't think that even Kevin McCarthy has faith that this is going to pan out. I think he's just wants it as a distraction, as a distraction from Biden's campaign. Well, that would make sense. I mean, if it would put both presidents at the same time, having to deal with legal issues while on the campaign. So you're right. It would, as you said earlier, it would level the playing field. Yeah. Yeah. But man i don't know see the thing is i don't like very many of these republican leaders right now enough to to know and to listen to what they have to say Mm -hmm. because i mean i think i think it's just kind of a joke right now and that's sad because i think that there needs to be more talking to each other Mm -hmm. about what's going on i think there needs to be more bipartisanship 
in order to move forward and actually fix a lot of these issues. And this sort of impeachment is only just going to help the stratification of yeah, parties. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think either one of, of, I mean, with the exception of the far right, I don't think anyone in the legislature wants Trump to be president, but I do think that at least half of, of them, meaning Republicans would rather stick it to Democrats than have a legitimate candidate. And I think that that's really detrimental to um, any prospect of, of unity or bipartisanship or actual, you know, progress. Sure. I can see that. I just, I just wish that we could all chill out. Yeah. Sing Kumbaya and hold hands. And... I don't want that. No, I'm not <laughs> going to go that far. People's hands no, are dicky. Some collaboration would be nice. Yeah, collaboration would be nice. But at the same time, like, I see what people cough into their hands and do with their hands. I'm not going to hold their hand and sing Kumbaya. And nobody okay. wants me to sing. Oh. Nobody wants me to sing. I'm oh, a drummer right. for yeah. a reason. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm man enough to admit it, you know, but, but I mean, it would be nice if we could actually, I mean, if we could actually make progress, I, I feel like there's so much gridlock. Like we couldn't even oh, yeah. pass a bill to provide veterans with proper medical care. Right. And that's something that everyone in the country should be, you know, all, all for like, try, try to think of a, legitimate excuse to not do that and yet we almost did not do that simply because we didn't want the other side to you know to win well we're probably heading towards another government shutdown for the exact same reason yeah we have what is it eight days left yeah and the house republicans are like we're gonna take the weekend off yeah yeah so my um my parents actually were just in dc and i think they were visiting the capitol building um, this is like a couple days ago. I think they right. were visiting Capitol building a, a, a few hours after they decided to, to end the session early. Um, they, oh, they did get to go up into the gallery of the house chambers. Uh, and it was the only thing that was going on though, was Kevin McCarthy with the sergeant at arms, like signing some, some bill or something. Um, but they had just decided to go home and not do their job, which sucks because, uh, when I do that, I, at the very least, just don't get paid. Right. And, you know, you would hope that that would be the same for people who have much more important jobs than mine. Well, democracy is great. (laughs) It sucks. (laughs) You know, it sucks, but it's better than the alternatives at the same time. Mm. No, if I mean I'm all for dictatorship. I just want to be <laughs> the one in charge. Think, you want to be think, the dictator? Yeah. What if what if we had a uh what if we had a bicameral dictatorship and you and I led? Do you not think that we could do a better job? No. Yeah, maybe. No. We would we'd be sitting around being like we, we would spend just as much time. Doing nothing 
and goofing off. Our national anthem is Separate Ways by Journey. (laughs) Exactly. Right. We would spend just as much time doing stuff like that as we would actually trying to do other stuff. And because we disagree on so much of the other stuff, we wouldn't get it done. (laughs) But can you imagine start of every sporting event, how pumped up everyone, players, the crowd, (laughs) concession workers would be after listening to Separate Ways. Yeah, that's Look, true. It's, it's not a good idea, but it's not a bad idea. It's there are worse. It's, it's an idea. There are worse ideas. Yeah, there are. Man, I don't know how this is going to end with the impeachment. I I think it's going to fizzle. I think they're gonna they're gonna have nothing, and they're gonna you know slink away with their tail between their legs, and they're gonna you know make every effort to just. You know, not I don't, I don't think so. Brought up. I think they're going to make a big stink out of nothing. And I don't think it's going to fizzle out. I think they're going to try and bring nothing to the court and they're going to, or maybe not to the court, to the house. Cause they're the ones who do the impeachment trials. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to bring it to them. I think they're going to try and bring it to order as much as they physically can. And but they have nothing. And so I think, I think yeah. because they have nothing, it's going to fizzle. Right. Well, I think in the trial it would fizzle, but yeah. They can drag it on for as long as they want. That's true. That is so, true. On that bright and happy note. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's about a good place to, to end. end it. Yeah, I think so too. Oh man. Why don't you do our closing credits? Uh, well, uh, I, I don't even think we did an intro. Um, so I guess oh, yeah. I'll start with the intro. Welcome to Agreeable Disagreements. <laughs> yeah, this has been Agreeable Disagreements, a podcast where two friends from differing political ideologies uh, pick a topic from the week's politics and debate it. Uh, I would like to say thank you to Halcyon Club for letting us use their song, This Life is Tough But Fair, as our theme song. Um, that is on their EP, Headset Emotions. Um also, thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, please be sure to like, follow, subscribe, all of that good stuff so that we can uh, hopefully reach more listeners. Um, and do, do you have a fun fact or should I do the one that should I go with you the one what? that I, I got had one. Before. I got one. Okay. I got one. Yeah, because you, you mine, had to do mine both was the that opening. Cary Grant was just uh, apparently an uh, avid LSD user. Yeah, which surprised me. I think the one that I would share is that the scent of vanilla that you get in a lot of aerosol sprays. Okay, this is not true. It's not? This yes, is, it is. I know, no, it, not anymore. Now what they use is vanillin, which is synthetic vanilla flavor. It is not beaver asshole. Uh, well, up until it's very not, recently, it was beaver butt glands that yeah. were used <laughs> to create <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, until until more recently than than you would like. But as <laughs> a trained food scientist, I can confidently tell you that if you've had vanilla flavored stuff, if it if it is not actually vanilla bean itself, uh, is just vanillin, which does not come from beaver butts. But castorium does, and that was used castorium for does. a long time. And it's yeah, 
Um, and that is the, the only source of that is, uh, these glands that beavers have underneath their butts or maybe, maybe it's above their. I don't, I don't know the exact placement of the gland. How dare you um, not know the exact placement of a beaver gland? I know I live it's, in Corvallis, home of the beavers. I study food science. Yeah. You should uh, know this the for all the beavers that we for eat. Castorium. Uh, I have I have a cookbook with a recipe for beaver tail on my cookbook or on my bookshelf right now. You monster. <laughs> I think it no, I I'm pretty sure it's the Art of French Cooking by uh Julia Child. Those monsters the French. Wait, Julia Childs? Yeah. I think she I think it's her book. Uh she has a recipe for beaver tail. Well, now I know what I'm doing my weekend. Right? Um, here's a fun fact. I think there was a few years ago where I think she has a recipe for beaver tails and she has a recipe for like duck or orange. And so (laughs) the winning like mayor of the, uh, the rival game, uh, formerly called the civil war game between the, the ducks and the beavers, uh, the winning mayor would send like, uh, either Corvallis or Eugene, the winning mayor would send the other mayor, uh, like a copy of the recipe, either duck or beaver and all of the, um, necessary supplies to to make said recipe. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I know, I know that they sent something, uh, in relation to these recipes back and forth. I don't know if they sent like a whole like care basket or something, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, if nothing else, Julia Child does have a recipe for beaver. And look at you listeners getting three fun facts for this episode. How lucky are you guys? The things, the things we do because we care about our fans. 